0: We have been talking about Moses um, for the past five weeks and so I hope that if any of you have been here in the past five weeks you know something about Moses, right? So we started with Moses as the baby in the context of all the baby boys being thrown into the river. Moses was thrown into the river and saved and then Moses was raised in the palace and left, and then went and was called back to Egypt by the burning bush. And then there were lots of plagues and gross stuff, and then they <laughs> crossed the Red Sea by the parting of the water. And then they went out and to the wilderness for 40 years, as Alan talked about last week, and God fed them every day with manna. What's that? That fell from heaven and quails that came at night. God was faithful to the Israelites and to Moses. So we are still in the wilderness today, and we are at a part of the story that you all have heard of. And even if someone has never read the Bible, you have heard of this part of the story because um, it's referred to a lot by a lot of people. And so therefore it has some baggage and it is the Ten Commandments so um, you may have heard that of the Ten Commandments maybe because um, the Supreme Court and Ted Cruz talked about the Ten Commandments and being posted in public places and municipalities and there's big fights about the Ten Commandments so that's not what we're talking about we're going back to the First time that these words were spoken to the people of Israel. And these people were slaves in Egypt, right? And they were um, governed by lots of rules and regulations in Egypt. And they knew what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And then they left and they went out to the wilderness and they're forming a new society. And they have no government. They have no regulations. They just have God guiding them through the desert, feeding them every day. The same God that miraculously saved all of them by parting the Red Sea and drowning Pharaoh's army. So this is the pinnacle of the story. God, the encounter with God at Mount Sinai. It is the crux of the story. It is the moment that all of this has been leading to. And a moment when all the people encounter God without Moses as a mediator. Ever, all along the story, God talks to Moses, Moses talks to the people, then Moses goes and talks to God, God talks to Moses, Moses goes and talks to the people, and in this moment, God talks to the people directly. And it's Freaks them out. <laughs> so, we are hearing this story from the 20th chapter of Exodus. And as we read it, um, just so you know, the word you in the Bible many times is plural. In English, we don't distinguish between you plural and you singular, but in many other languages they do, including the biblical languages. Um, and so these, these words, when it says you, it's actually you individually. So like, heads up, we're talking about you. Um, and the, in the beginning, the rules are about your relationship with God, and then we move on to your relationship with other people. So. These are your rules, people. Then God began speaking directly to all the people. I am the eternal, your God. I led you out of Egypt and liberated you from lives of slavery and oppression. So, you are not to serve any other gods before me. You are not to make an idol or an image of other gods. In fact, you are not to make an image of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters beneath. You are not to bow down and serve any image, for I, the Eternal, your God, am a jealous God. As for those who are not loyal to me, their children will endure the consequences of their sins for three or four generations. But for those who love me and keep my directives, their children will experience my loyal love for thousands of generations." The rabbi said, why don't you just say what they can't make an idol of? And another rabbi said, because if we made a list, they would make an idol of anything. Everything can become an idol. Everything. Continuing. You are not to use my name for your own idol purposes. For the Eternal will punish anyone who treats his name as anything less than sacred. Now you've probably heard that one used as um, don't swear. Right? Or don't use God's name in vain. Another version, the NRSV, says you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. I think it's really about misrepresenting God. Saying God is something that God is not. Or for something that you're for, that God maybe isn't for. We'll get back to that. You and your family are to remember the Sabbath day. Set it apart and keep it holy. You have seven days to do all your work, but the seventh day is to be different. It is, Sabbath of, it is the Sabbath of the Eternal, your God. Keep it holy by not doing any work, not your sons, not your daughters, not your male or female servants, your livestock, or any outsiders living among you. For the Eternal made the heavens above and the earth below and the seas and all the creatures in them in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. That's why he blessed the seventh day and made it sacred. Remember the manna comes six days a week. The seventh day, you rest. So this is a reiterated concept. God is reminding his people to take Sabbath. You are to honor your father and your mother. If you do... You and your children will live long and well in the land, the eternal your God has promised to give you. You are not to murder. You are not to commit adultery. You are not to take what is not yours. You are not to give false testimony against your neighbor. You are not to covet what your neighbor has or set your heart on getting his house, his wife, his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. All this, as all the people witnessed the signs of God's presence, the blast of the ram's horn, the roaring thunder, the flashing light, the smoke-covered mountain they shook with fear and astonishment and wisely kept their distance. They said to Moses, We are afraid to have God speak directly to us. We are certain that we will die. You speak to us instead. We promise to listen. Moses said, Don't be afraid. These powerful manifestations are God's way of instilling awe and fear in you so that you will not sin. He is testing you for your own good. But everyone remained far away from the mountain as Moses began moving toward the thick, dark cloud where God was. These commandments are pretty inclusive about your life, what you shouldn't be doing, what you should be doing, and how to live with God and how to live with other people. And they are about each of us, commands for each of us, not just generalities of what might be good, but you, yourself, should do these things or should not do these things. And some of it sounds a little um, condemning, right? Or we're going to get in trouble because we're not going to do these things. But we need to remember that um, Moses, who is there representing God, has already broken one of these commands. And everybody knows it because it's what everybody knows about him, these Israelites. And what was it? He committed murder. He's a murderer. Moses, who's leading them, is a murderer. And they all know it. And so God says, don't do that. Even though this person who's leading them has done that. So maybe God is saying, we do things that we shouldn't, but we can still be faithful. I chose Moses, even though he broke one of these ten big rules. And he's still capable of leading you all. And I, in that context, I think the power of these commandments is really to remind us that God has high ideals for each of us. And that God's ideas are better than our ideas. And that it's not easy to live in the way that God has for us to live. Jesus was really the only one ever to be faithful, fully faithful, completely faithful to so all of God's ideals. The rest of us fall short. We don't follow all Ten Commandments perfectly all the time. Is anybody gonna not rest today? You're just resting, right? You're not preparing any food, you're not turning on any light very bad very bad we all fail and we all sin and we don't follow the great commandment either which is what Jesus said all of this comes down to this one thing that you love you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself anybody doing that perfectly Not me. We have these ideals. We need these ideals. We strive for these ideals, but we don't meet them. And that reminds us that we are not God. And that God is greater than we are. And so we ask for forgiveness, and we start over again. And we walk in that way. So you may remember that there was a president several decades ago, when I was very young, um, who was attacked for his admission that he had not followed the Ten Commandments, that he had committed adultery in his heart. That was Jimmy Carter, who I think has proven himself over the past decades um, as a faithful Christian and as a Profit, really, for all of us today. But his willingness to admit that he needed forgiveness, I believe, is at the heart of what it means to be faithful. To know that there are ideals that you long for and that you strive for and that you don't need them. But you still hold these ideals and you still try, with all you are, to be the person that God wants you to be. And I think today, in our age, when our current president won't admit to ever asking God for forgiveness, we need a reminder what God's ideals are. And that they are not our own ideals. God doesn't just like the things we like and dislike the things we dislike. To be people who don't take God's name in vain, we have to admit That God is bigger, and more gracious, and more loving, and more righteous than we will ever be. We can only strive to be like God. But if we think we have arrived in our own righteousness, then we are surely far from God's ideals for us. As Anne Lamott says... You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. That's not God. That's your creation of God. One of the ways that I believe we've all come to understand that we have fallen short is in our response To the families which are being separated and detained at the southern border. I don't know how many times I have had people say, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. What can I do? What can be done? How can I do more? We all have a longing to make a difference, to make it better, to end injustice and oppression and the torture Which is taking place against children and their parents at the hands of our government the same feeling of falling short of an ideal not the guilt or the sense of despair but the longing to be more is the feeling that we should all have in our spiritual life all the time Our spiritual life, which the Ten Commandments show us, is about our relationship with God and our relationship with humanity give us ideals and something to long for and realize we have not yet achieved. Yesterday, some of us figured out one thing to do in response. Thousands of us gathered at Portland City Hall probably 2,000 people, as one means of standing against what is happening to immigrants in our country. People gathered across the country in 800 different rallies to take a stand. 14 different rallies took place in Maine. And even though it may seem momentous, it's not enough. It will never be enough until immigrants are treated with respect at all levels of our government and in our society. It will never be enough until the rhetoric of demonizing the other and xenophobic aggression has ended. There is always more to do because God has high ideals for us. We can always be more, we can always do more. We can always long to be better people than we are and we should. One of the most meaningful parts of the day was the shoes of immigrant families which were lined up on the steps of First Parish Unitarian Universalist Church. It was a project of old friends of ours who were a part of Hope Gateway before it was called Hope Gateway. They are two sisters who moved to Maine from Connecticut separately, but both became a part of our community. They have both since moved away from Portland, but were moved to be here yesterday for this particular moment, to take a stand for this movement. Allison and Ashley collected shoes from Waterville to Saco And beyond and line them up on the step as a visual image of the children who have been detained and separated from their parents. The children which are being held in cages. The children who don't know where their parents are. It is a powerful these shoes will be donated to immigrant families around 25 pairs of shoes were already donated to Family Promise guests and former guests and this act has made an impact on the way these families feel the welcome they know they have in our community is tangible in the simple act of kindness. These are beautiful and important ways to witness. It is truly a gift when we see that for a moment, in one act, we are doing the work of God. We are following the way that God has shown us. It is not easy to stay in that path. To walk in that way each and every day, in every moment. To follow all of God's commands with our whole heart, and our whole soul, and our mind. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. But as long as we are striving, as long as we are longing to be more and do more and live more faithfully, the Ten Commandments, which were a gift to the people of Israel, a guide for their lives, a demonstration of how to be faithful, they can be a gift for us. As we work to love God, to be faithful, and to understand that God is more than we can ever be. More than we will ever be in love and generosity and in justice. God is perfect, and we are not. But we long to be more like God with each and every day of our lives may it be so amen, amen. we have been talking about moses um, for the past five weeks and so i hope that if any of you have been here in the past five weeks you know something about moses right so we started with moses as the baby in the context of all the baby boys being thrown into the river. Moses was thrown into the river and saved. And then Moses was raised in the palace and left and then went and was called back to Egypt by the burning bush. And then there were lots of plagues and gross stuff and then they (laughs) crossed the Red Sea by the parting of the water. And then they went out and to the wilderness for 40 years as Alan talked about last week and God fed them every day with manna what's that that fell from heaven and quails that came at night God was faithful to the Israelites and to Moses so we are still in the wilderness today and we are at a part of the story that you all have heard of, and even if someone has never read the Bible, you have heard of this part of the story, because um, it's referred to a lot by a lot of people, and so therefore it has some baggage. And it is the Ten Commandments. So um, you may have heard that of the Ten Commandments, Maybe because um, the Supreme Court and Ted Cruz talked about the Ten Commandments and being posted in public places and municipalities, and there's big fights about the Ten Commandments. So that's not what we're talking about. We're going back to the first time that these words were spoken to the people of Israel. And these people were slaves in Egypt, right? And they were. Um, governed by lots of rules and regulations in Egypt. They knew what they should do and what they shouldn't do and then they left and they went out to the wilderness and they're forming a new society. And they have no government. They have no regulations. They just have God guiding them through the desert feeding them every day. The same God that miraculously saved all of them by parting the Red Sea and drowning Pharaoh's army. So this is the pinnacle of the story. God, the encounter with God at Mount Sinai. It is the crux of the story. It is the moment that all of this has been leading to. And a moment when all the people encounter God without Moses as a mediator. Ever, all along the story, God talks to Moses, Moses talks to the people, then Moses goes and talks to God, God talks to Moses, Moses goes and talks to the people. And in this moment, God talks to the people directly. And it freaks them out. (laughs) So, we are hearing this story from the 20th chapter Exodus and as we read it um, just so you know the word you in the Bible many times is plural in English we don't distinguish between you plural and you singular but in many other languages they do including the biblical languages Um, and so these these words when it says you it's actually you individually so like heads up we're talking about you Um, And in the beginning, the rules are about your relationship with God, and then we move on to your relationship with other people. So, these are your rules, people. Then God began speaking directly to all the people. I am the Eternal, your God. I led you out of Egypt and liberated you from lives of slavery and oppression. So, you are not to serve any other gods before me. You are not to make an idol or an image of other gods. In fact, you are not to make an image of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters beneath. You are not to bow down and serve any image, for I, the Eternal, your God, am a jealous God. As for those who are not loyal to me, their children will endure the consequences of their sins for three or four generations. But for those who love me and keep my directives, their children will experience my loyal love for thousands of generations. The rabbi said, why don't you just say what they can't make an idol of? And another rabbi said, because if we made a list, they would make an idol of anything. Everything can become an idol. Everything. Continuing. You are not to use my name for your own idol purposes, for the eternal will punish anyone who treats his name as anything less than sacred. Now, you've probably heard that one used as um, don't swear. Or don't use God's name in vain. Another version, the NRSV, says, You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. I think it's really about misrepresenting God. Saying God is something that God is not. Or for something that you're for, that God maybe isn't for. We'll get back to that. You and your family are to remember the Sabbath day. Set it apart and keep it holy. You have seven days to do all your work, but the seventh day is to be different. It is, Sabbath of, it is the Sabbath of the Eternal, your God. Keep it holy by not doing any work, not your sons, not your daughters, not your male or female servants, your livestock, or any outsiders living among you. For the Eternal made the heavens above and the earth below and the seas and all the creatures in them in six days. Then on the seventh day, he rested. That's why he blessed the seventh day and made it sacred. Remember the manna comes six days a week. The seventh day, you rest. So this is a reiterated concept. God is reminding his people to take Sabbath. You are to honor your father and your mother. If you do, you and your children will live long and well in the land, the eternal your God has promised to give you. You are not to murder. You are not to commit adultery. You are not to take what is not yours. You are not to give false testimony against your neighbor. You are not to covet what your neighbor has or set your heart on getting his house, his wife, his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. All this As all the people witnessed the signs of God's presence, the blast of the ram's horn, the roaring thunder, the flashing light, the smoke-covered mountain, they shook with fear and astonishment and wisely kept their distance. They said to Moses, We are afraid to have God speak directly to us. We are certain that we will die. You speak to us instead. We promise to listen. Moses said, don't be afraid. These powerful manifestations are God's way of instilling awe and fear in you so that you will not sin. He is testing you for your own good. But everyone remained far away from the mountain as Moses began moving toward the thick, dark cloud where God was. These commandments are pretty inclusive about your life, what you shouldn't be doing, what you should be doing, and how to live with God, and how to live with other people. And they are about each of us, commands for each of us, not just generalities of what might be good, but you, yourself, should do these things or should not do these things. And some of it sounds a little um, condemning, right? Or we're going to get in trouble because we're not going to do these things. But we need to remember that um, Moses, who is there representing God, has already broken one of these commands. And everybody knows it because it's what everybody knows about him, these Israelites. And what was it? He committed murder. He's a murderer. Moses, who's leading them, is a murderer. And they all know it. And so God says, don't do that. Even though this person who's leading them has done that. So maybe God is saying, we do things that we shouldn't, but we can still be faithful. I chose Moses, even though he broke one of these ten big rules. And he's still capable of leading you all. And I, in that context, I think the power of these commandments is really to remind us that God has high ideals for each of us. And that God's ideas are better than our ideas. And that it's not easy to live in the way that God has for us to live. Jesus was really the only one ever to be faithful, fully faithful, completely faithful. to all of God's ideals. The rest of us fall short. We don't follow all Ten Commandments perfectly all the time. Is anybody going to not rest today? You're just resting, right? You're not preparing any food. You're not turning on any lights very bad very bad we all fail and we all sin and we don't follow the great commandment either which is what jesus said all of this comes down to this one thing that you love you love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself anybody doing that perfectly not me we have these ideals we need these ideals we strive for these ideals but we don't meet them and that reminds us that we are not God and that God is greater than we are and so we ask for forgiveness and we start over again and we walk in that way So you may remember that there was a president, several decades ago, when I was very young, um, who was attacked for his admission that he had not followed the Ten Commandments, that he had committed adultery in his heart. That was Jimmy Carter, who I think has proven himself over the past decades um, as a faithful Christian and as a Profit, really, for all of us today. But his willingness to admit that he needed forgiveness, I believe, is at the heart of what it means to be faithful. To know that there are ideals that you long for and that you strive for and that you don't need them. But you still hold these ideals and you still try, with all you are, to be the person that God wants you to be. And I think today, in our age, when our current president won't admit to ever asking God for forgiveness, we need a reminder what God's ideals are. And that they are not our own ideals. God doesn't just like the things we like and dislike the things we dislike. To be people who don't take God's name in vain, we have to admit That God is bigger, and more gracious, and more loving, and more righteous than we will ever be. We can only strive to be like God. But if we think we have arrived in our own righteousness, then we are surely far from God's ideals for us. As Anne Lamott says... You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. That's not God. That's your creation of God. One of the ways that I believe we've all come to understand that we have fallen short is in our response To the families which are being separated and detained at the southern border. I don't know how many times I have had people say, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. What can I do? What can be done? How can I do more? We all have a longing to make a difference, to make it better, to end injustice and oppression and the torture Which is taking place against children and their parents at the hands of our government the same feeling of falling short of an ideal not the guilt or the sense of despair but the longing to be more is the feeling that we should all have in our spiritual life all the time Our spiritual life, which the Ten Commandments show us, is about our relationship with God and our relationship with humanity give us ideals and something to long for and realize we have not yet achieved. Yesterday, some of us figured out one thing to do in response. Thousands of us gathered at Portland City Hall probably 2,000 people, as one means of standing against what is happening to immigrants in our country. People gathered across the country in 800 different rallies to take a stand. 14 different rallies took place in Maine. And even though it may seem momentous, it's not enough. It will never be enough until immigrants are treated with respect at all levels of our government and in our society. It will never be enough until the rhetoric of demonizing the other and xenophobic aggression has ended. There is always more to do because God has high ideals for us. We can always be more. We can always do more. We can always long to be better people than we are and we should. One of the most meaningful parts of the day was the shoes of immigrant families which were lined up on the steps of First Parish Unitarian Universalist Church. It was a project of old friends of ours who were a part of Hope Gateway before it was called Hope Gateway. They are two sisters who moved to Maine from Connecticut separately, but both became a part of our community. They have both since moved away from Portland, but were moved to be here yesterday for this particular moment, to take a stand for this movement. Allison and Ashley collected shoes from Waterville to Saco and beyond and line them up on the step as a visual image of the children who have been detained and separated